given to me by Woody Shaw, Sunship, Dizzy, and John Kahn, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my music heroes. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Uh, it is so great to be back in studio. Oscar Baca across the way. Engineering, Doug, Mark and Doug Martin in the studio. We just heard from Solomon on Blast. And I just got to say, it's just so wonderful to be back here uh, after uh, a couple of unbelievable weeks on the road. Jackson was a warrior last week, and we were able to salvage most of that show so thank you so much to everybody and it's just great to be back in the hot seat um just for the record my phone uh with my introduction for my guest literally is dead don't ask me why i think the phone just absolutely crapped out so without further ado i'd like to introduce one of the most bad drummers one of the biggest biggest heaviest heavyweight drummers in the land clyde stubblefield welcome to the jake feinberg show are you there, my brother? Oh yeah! Thank you, Jake. Tim, oh. I'm here. I'm waiting on you. Yeah, no, I, I had, I had, I wrote up this whole monologue this morning and uh, was really excited about it. And I look over at my phone and it's it blew up. So, um, yeah, yeah, this, that's, that sounds good. Well, um, it's an honor to talk to you, man, and, and thank you for taking the time. I um. You know, Clyde, I wanted to talk to you. I'm fascinated by it. I've talked to guys like uh, Candido, who was from Cuba. And uh, a lot of other cats uh, that grew up playing uh, non-traditional trap set uh, drums. And you were, as a boy, you really worked on a lot of sort of untraditional things and just played rhythm on it. And I was hoping you could talk about a couple of those things that you used as instruments and how how you developed uh, your own kind of rhythmic sound. Okay. Are you ready for me now? This is live, baby. Go ahead. Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, I played around home for a while, you know, quite a few, a long time, and uh, 
Otis Redding came through there, and um, the band I was playing, the Cascades, the band I was playing with, uh, we played behind Otis Redding, you know, sit in for, with him. And uh, Otis was from um, Macon, Georgia. And um, I, after that, I still, uh, I played with the Cascades for still a while, and then I decided I was going to leave, and I moved down to Macon, Georgia, and I started playing with uh, Eddie Kirkland, a blues guy. Sure, sure. Huh? Yeah, I know that cat. Yeah, Eddie Kirkland, I started playing with him, and uh, I wasn't regular with Otis, so, but uh, I could have been, but I didn't be with him regularly. I just went with him about once or twice, and that was it. And... Uh, I was just playing around Madison. I wasn't expecting anything special. Uh, just having a good time, enjoying playing my music. And uh, a friend, I went to a club one night. The, um, <clears throat> I can't think of the name of this club. But it was uh, a friend of James Brown that owned it. And uh, I went there and I was jamming. And uh, uh, Brown sent someone up and said, hey, Clyde, when you get through, Mr. Brown wants to talk to you. Mm. And, uh, like, I didn't know him, actually, from no one. I just knew one of his songs. Right. But I didn't expect anything from him. And um, so uh, I played another song after that one. <laughs> and Brown came up and says, hey, man, when you get through, I want to talk to you. <laughs> So uh, I says, okay, bro. So when I got through, I went over to the table where he was sitting. And uh, he started saying, well, uh, I want you to order, uh, order um, oh, what's that? I want you to come and uh, check out my band and see if you can play with them. I says, cool, no problem. And he was playing in Augusta, Georgia that next week. So the, his friend that owned the club uh, came and got me from where I was living and drove me down to Augusta, Georgia. And uh, he took me on stage, man, and the place was jam-packed with people, the auditorium. It was amazing. And I was shaking and scared as could be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he had five drummers, five drum sets on stage. I'm going, damn, what are you doing with five drummers? And uh, so he said, sit in and, and uh, jam with me. So I sit on one of the drums. He said, now get closer to the organ. I got closer to the organ, and uh, we jammed, and he was smiling and liked it and everything. Not, not his whole band, just a few members, you know. And uh, we got through and went to his dressing room, and he gave me $100. And I go, wow. <laughs> well, the man got money. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we talked a while, and uh, he says, I'll be calling you. And so I went, uh, I got in the car and went back to Macon. And uh, for about a week or two, I said to myself, oh, this guy ain't going to call or nothing. 
So uh, I can't think of the guy's name, his friend. Oh. But anyway, his friend got in touch with me and said, hey, well, Mr. Brown wants you, and he wants you in North Carolina. I said, wow. So they put me on a flight and sent me into North Carolina. I went to the auditorium where he was performing, and I walked on stage, and I stood on the side of the stage, and that was the only time I ever stood on the side of the stage. The rest of the nights I went on stage to perform. I said, God, he got me on here quick. And that's where I met Jabbo, the other drummer who used to play with B.B. King and uh, Bobby Bland. And I said, oh, man, you are my idol. And uh, him and I, we started talking. We said, man, there's too many drummers here. We got to break these drummers down so you and I can play more. <laughs> <laughs> so we started knocking them out. And it, we got down to three drummers. And the other guy didn't play that much, but Jabo and I played a lot. So he got rid of that other drummer, too, because that other drummer wanted to go to college or something. Brown sent him. But uh, Jabbo and I started playing uh, all the songs with Brown. Jabbo had a set of songs, and I had a set of songs. And I did more of the traveling, the old European traveling with Brown. I went to Europe, Asia, uh, China, uh, Japan. I did some Vietnam shows with him and stuff. And uh, it was a great time, and I didn't I at least expect it all this stuff to happen. So uh, I got into it, and I had a great time. You know, uh, just Clyde, I wanted to take you back <clears throat> with my direct question. Really, I'm more, I wanted you to talk about in Chattanooga growing up some of the instruments you used that were not trap set drums that you used to develop your rhythmic chops. Well, um, I used to listen to a drummer named Joe Burton. He was a hot jazz drummer and a, he says, man, just, you know, no one taught me anything. Well, I can't read music either. Mm -hmm. But he says, just sit down and play your rhythms and enjoy yourself. And I did that, and uh, I came up with my own rhythms. And uh, I really loved my rhythms, too. And that's when I started playing them with brown, like on cold, cold sweat and stuff. I got the feeling. Right. And... Um, uh, people ask me how I do that. I go, I don't know, because I don't know what I'm doing, actually. I love it. I love, yeah, I, love, I, I love it. I just, people say, how do you how do you do that to me? And I say, I don't know. It's just, it's not, it just comes out, but. Uh, yeah, it just come out of my, my soul, my feeling. But and did, uh, I loved it. Did you, and, yeah, did you have like, um, you know, uh, you know, boxes and, and different types of things that, you didn't have a trap set when you were a kid. And you were using all types of different stuff. Is that right? Uh, different type of drums, you mean? I just I just read somewhere that you were not that you anything you got your hands on. I mean, you were very much um, you gravitated towards the industrial sounds of Chattanooga and the train. Oh yeah, I just played what I felt. I didn't. No one ever told me play this or play that. I just sat down and played what they put the music down, and I played what I felt with the guys in Chattanooga. Right, but I mean, the can you talk a little bit about? It's just so interesting because, like you said, you didn't have a formal education, but 
you were listening. I mean, what was the kind? Was it like the the chugga chugga of the train? Was it the sounds of the factories? What were the things that you still can harken back to as a kid that you remember that stuck out and said, all of a sudden you were developing these rhythms because of the of the of the natural environment? Well, actually, I didn't think about it. I just continued playing what I felt. So I didn't think about what I was playing or how I played it. I just it was just my rhythm patterns that I played on different songs and stuff. So uh, uh, no one, like I said, taught me or told me. It's just that I felt what I played. Talking to Clyde Stubblefield here, legendary drummer, uh, still doing it, uh, and uh, <laughs> just so great to great to hang with you, man. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, can you, you know, before you met, uh, was he known as Jimmy Brown when you met him? Did I know Jimmy Brown? Well, was he known as Jimmy Brown? Before oh, he was known as James Brown when I first met him. Okay, he had out some hit songs, and uh, I like I say I didn't know, but one of the songs I heard of, I feel, I mean, uh, I got to, uh, whatever the songs is he had, uh, and it was great. And uh, I says, "Wow, the man got some great songs out." Did you play? And, uh, yeah. Did you before? Like, you, go ahead. Like, when I started playing with him, like I said, I just played what I felt. He didn't even tell me what to play. Did you play any stone jazz gigs before you met up with... At any point when you were in Augusta or in Georgia, were you playing jazz tunes? Uh, no, I was playing rhythm and blues, but I sometimes jammed with a jazz band. And um, I played... Uh, in, in Nashville at the Rock and I mean uh, Grand Ole Opry one day, so I like playing country too, right. and uh, <laughs> it was a uh, fun to play at the Nashville Grand Ole Opry, <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed that very much. And everything has been great. I, like I say, I don't know what I'm doing. I just sit down and feel my soul. And there in itself is the magic of it all. We, uh, you know, um, Clyde, we have a, a tune for you uh, I wanted to put in. Um, I don't know, is the computer down? Okay. Yeah, yeah we have a tune here, uh, Clyde. I'm not sure the last time you heard it, but we have a, a, a game on this program called Name That Tune. So I want you to settle in, listen to this, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Okay. Baby.
Music on the Jake Feinberg Show, sponsored in part by my loyal sponsors, Abbott Taylor Jewelers, Circle Tree Ranch, Dee's Island Grill, and the Stereo Hospital. We thank you so much for your support. All right, Mr. Stubblefield, what do you got for us, brother? Well, uh, that's the first time I ever heard that song. I'd never heard it before. Uh, but I would place a totally different beat on that. Uh, do you want Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I've never heard that song before. Okay. Sounds good, but the rhythm could have been a little hotter. I, I mean, uh, well, let's, let's back up for a minute here, brother, because that's you on drums, my man. Yeah. That, 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 that woman's name is Marva Whitney. Martha Whitney. Oh, okay. It's nineteen. I don't re- see. I don't remember some of the songs I even played. Well, all it doesn't matter. That's why I do. <laughs> that's why one of the reasons I do this show. And that was an album called "It's My Thing." And you know, I mean, listen, Clyde. I mean, of all the interviews you've done, what does everybody ask you about? James Brown. What does Jake Feinberg ask you about? Everything but James Brown. Okay. So talk right. to me. Talk to me about. Marva Whitney, and I'm glad you don't remember that because now you now I put it in your ears for you. So talk to me about how who she was because I didn't know her until this morning when I was checking out your discography. Uh, she was a, a singer on the show, and uh, like I say, that song I never heard, and a lot of songs she I done with her I never heard. I just played them, I think, <clears throat> but I didn't play the same pattern as I would play with James Brown. I played a totally different path. I gave her a different feel. Right. What kind of feel was so, it? So it was like uh, those songs there, it was like the rhythm could have been hotter, but I didn't put no hot rhythm with her. No drum pattern rhythm. Right. Well, you. I mean, the whole, there's a, the whole album is on YouTube, and I got to tell you, it goes from those kinds of, of, of tunes to really nice ballads too. I mean, how how can you talk to you know today's uh, you know anyone in percussion studying percussion today, younger cats who who are who are trying to develop their individual sound? What I notice with you also is your ability uh, to really command dynamics very low, and then you can bring it back up very high. And I, I know again you're going to go back to this answer of I don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from my soul. But can you talk about? Dynamics for younger generations. Dynamics is uh, what I heard. And when I heard dynamics, I presented them too. So uh, it wasn't nothing that I read, like I say, I don't read. So when I heard what they done, I just put my beat along with them and added. When you were on, when you when you got to join James Brown, um, because he wasn't uh, writing out tunes, can you talk about how you would communicate with him prior to uh, a new song? I mean, how he would communicate what he wanted from you? Well, I didn't know what he wanted from me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't communicate with that to you. We didn't communicate like that. Right. He just, um, what we do, we go in the studio, the band, and start jamming, and he would walk in and put uh, some lyrics to it. So I don't know what he would want it, because like I say, he never told me what to play or how to play a song. He just walked in and put lyrics on the thing that we were jamming on. 
and told us to keep playing it. Right. So you guys would just so, get it. Right, go ahead. That's the only thing I know about mainly. So you guys would be in kind of a, an improvisational jam uh, as a group, Fred Thomas, you guys, uh, and then uh, who was on, was it, was it uh, Fred Wesley and Maceo? Who was, else was in that, that group? Uh, Jimmy Nolan, uh, Alfonso Keller, uh, God, uh, 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 I can't think of the rest of them. <laughs> it's okay. So, so basically, I, I, I just trying to paint this picture because so much of today's uh, recording world is. You know, you get a guitar player in Sweden, and they're emailing you the guitar solo, and you're, you know, you're putting this track over that, but. When you were in the st- in the studio, so you'd have st- James would book studio time, and then you guys as a band would just be jamming, and he would come out and put lyrics over it, and that and that would be the the hit record. That would be the hit record. And mainly, he would uh, we would record at King Studio in Cincinnati, and uh, like I said, he just walk in and put lyrics to it, and then Maceo and I, we all would ride on the bus one day and. That song came on the radio, and he says, Sire, here's a hit song of ours. And it was James Brown singing. I went, wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. Do you remember the first, that first song? What was that song? No, I don't. And like uh, like the song you just let me hear, uh-huh. I-, I played mainly what the guitar player was playing the street. Chop, 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 chop. And I played a uh, four four with that, just a backbeat. I didn't put no lyric, me no feeling lyrics in it. I mean, uh, beats in it. Yeah, I know. I stunned I, you. I, I just played what she was saying and singing. Oh, I'll tell you, she's a. She, I mean, what what became of Marva Whitney? I mean, I never heard her, and she was as as authoritative as I've ever heard someone belting out those lyrics. <laughs> Well, I don't know. She didn't even get big uh, in records uh, singing. She was just on the show as a regular singer, but for as her records, she didn't get big in the, the world as far as I know. Um, Clyde Stubblefield, uh, we have another game on this on this program um, called Name That Voice, and uh, I, I have some audio here I want you to listen to intently. And uh, and come back, and then we'll, uh, we'll see if you can decipher this, okay? Okay. Uh, with the ability to get a rhythm section. Am like I playing on this? Fill. Well, going back to the idea of, of, of brothers, you know, it's literally, uh, it's, it's a literal truth. And until somebody grasps just how literal it is, you, you can just uh, talk yourself into circles. But the fact is, if you go back... Uh, you know, it's not that long, 20,000 years, 30,000 years, I don't know exactly how long. We literally all come from the same mother in the uh, in the African diaspora. So that, I mean, literally they have traced the genetic evidence back to the fact that we are related. And so that, to me, I mean, racism is uh, simply impossible because there is only one race. There's the human race. Everything else I think of as local color, you know. it's it's We're literally related. So that's the first thing. The right. second thing. Uh, a rhythm section like Clyde Stubblefield and Phil Upchurch is a, is a gift from above, man. I mean, uh, quite quite seriously. I, I met Phil Upchurch in 1972 in uh, Los Angeles in a recording studio. I was just there with a friend of mine who was uh, working on Phil's record, 
And uh, I hadn't known him. Of course, I knew all, uh, about him uh, from his time in Chicago in the 60s. And uh, he was, you know, at that point, he was very uh, prolific and famous uh, among musicians. And by the end of the afternoon, he he had asked me to play on one of the songs on the record, and I, and I recorded with him. And uh, he was living in Chicago, and I was living in Madison. So we became partners in crime. You know, we started playing a lot of gigs in Chicago, hanging out. And at the same time, just by coincidence, James Brown's band came through Madison, Wisconsin, and his drummer, Clyde Stubblefield, got into a fight with him, and Clyde's brother lived in Madison, right. so he quit the band right here in Madison, <laughs> and he walked into a gig I was playing. You know, I always play little little clubs around town, man. I still do, just because it's such an important part of uh, Absolutely. Who, who, who I am, I guess. Mm -hmm. But in walked Clyde Stubblefield. So what do you do when James... Brown's drummer walks into the club and you're hanging out with uh, the staple singer's bass player, <laughs> which is what Phil Upchurch was. Absolutely. That's a rhythm section, man. I mean, you stop and, and, uh, and roll tape. All right, Mr. Stubblefield, name that voice. Well, I, uh, I played with Brown hard. I played with him heavy. I used my, like, uh, my own patterns. Right. But, uh, did you? Did you? Anyone else? Yeah. I played with with James Brown. I just played the pattern that they were putting out in their voice. Did you? Did you listen to that person talking? Not really. Okay, so you don't know that 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 was uh, his. That was Ben Sidron. Does that does that name ring a bell to you? No, no, ben, no one. Ben Ben Sidron. Ben Sidron, putting in time on planet Earth, uh, I live a life uh, on blue. Yeah, uh, Ben Sidron, I played with him. Well, that we were just listening to Ben Sidron talk about how he met you, okay? Because in 1970, you came through Madison and got in a fight with James Brown, and and you uh, your brother was there, so you wound up crashing with him. Walked into a club, Sidron saw you and said, "My gosh, I I already know Upchurch, so let's get Stubblefield and Upchurch together." And that's how that band came together. Is that the truth? Not as I, I don't remember, brother. <laughs> I love you. Man. I don't remember it. No. All right. Well, listen. Uh, as we go to break here, Mr. Stubblefield, I want to. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for being part of the show. Uh, I'm, we're going to play a tune that you. Uh, one question. You, uh, you're a multi instrumentalist. I'm what? Are you? Do you consider yourself a multi instrumentalist? I'm. A, I'm just a drummer that plays what I feel. So it's like, I don't know what I'm going to play until I hear the, the song. When I hear the song, and like Brown was singing it, I knew I put hot rhythm patterns with his vocals. But other people, I just played what I knew that those song was presenting. Do you remember ever playing the electric bass? Electric bass? I played electric bass one time. I know you did on this tune. Listen, let's go. Play it. <laughs> Thank you. 
cares A crop of corn It's just a field of tears The day has passed And yet I saw no sun album putting in time on planet earth uh and that was phil upchurch on drums yeah phil upchurch on drums clyde stubblefield on bass well what happened was we were in the studio with ben sidron and we took a break and i picked up the bass and started playing a pattern which i don't know no notes i don't even know what note i was in (laughs) a key and uh i just started playing a bass pattern and Phil Lipchurch got on the drums, and Ben put that down. I, you know what? It's one of the reasons I do this show for stories like that. I was because you know it's really it's it's like a nine minute groove, and you're just, <laughs> and that's the. I, mean, I was shocked when they put it out. <laughs> you know, um, before I let you go, Clyde, can you just talk about you know so much of like what you've talked about today? Uh, is you know it's not academic. It, there's no there's no academia in your life. Uh, you know it's in it's the soul, what you feel, and uh, there's just been a lot of mo- momentous stuff going on in our country and around the world. Uh, you know for for decades and and more recently, uh, even in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I just wanted you to talk about your concept of love. Of who? Love. L O V E. What is what does love mean to Clyde Stubblefield? Well, love means a lot to me. It's, it's respect, uh, caring, and uh, putting something in a position where everybody else is going to like it or love it. So love is a, 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 it's a thing. I never looked at it as, a, you know, I love you or I love you. I looked at it as a, I love my music. Mm-hmm. So uh, love and all those things, like I say, when I first, when I was in Macon, Georgia, I wasn't planning on being with no one. I was just planning on playing music. So I never looked for anything special. Never. Clyde Stubblefield, I wish you nothing but the best, man. I, I hope that... Um uh, you have, you know, you continue to move along, and uh, I really just, I, it was a treat for me today to be able to talk to you about about your career, and uh, maybe one day I'll get to see you play the bass. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was an honor talking with you, brother, and I hope I've done some good. Oh, you've done good, man. You've done real good. All right, All but right. Uh, it was an honor. All right, brother, man. I'll talk to you soon, Clyde. Okay, brother. Thank you and everybody. All right. We'll be right back on the Jake Feinberg Show.